0: Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Support for this show comes from Monroe Products, dedicated to helping people develop their full potential with its extraordinary
1: HemiSync Brainwave Entertainment Technology for balancing and focusing the brain. Learn more at HemiSync.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is poet and philosopher Mark Nepo. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening, and 7,000 Ways to Listen, which won the Books for a Better Life Award in 2012. His newest book, Inside the Miracle, Enduring Suffering, Approaching Wholeness, is a collection of poems, reflections, and essays exploring how best to engage with and move through personal suffering and tragedy. The book will be published in November of 2015. An essay by Mark entitled The Process of a Miracle Cure appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Mark Nepo, welcome to Essential Conversations.
2: Well, thank you. It's great to be with you today.
1: I want to start pretty much with the way the book starts, and I'm just going to quote a little sentence back to you. You wrote in the book, one of the great transforming passages in my life was having cancer in my mid 30s. This experience unraveled the way I see the world. So I'm curious as to how you saw the world and (laughs) how you see it now, you know, after the cancer.
2: Last Wednesday was the 28th anniversary of the tumor vanishing from my head which was the the first miracle. So, I, you know, I think that's a wonderful question. You know, I think that I always had a holistic kind of view of life, but I was really living in my head. You know, I was in my mid-30s, and I was kind of driven to peace, which you can imagine didn't work. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you know, life was upending me and changing me. And I was very humbled to discover how little control we have over life. I've come to think through the years, the only thing we we really have control over, is our presence and our absence. If you fall down, I can pick you up. If you're thirsty, I can bring you water. I can be there for you. But for the things that inwardly matter, we can only just keep each other company and support each other. So, so you know, one of the things is that I woke up on the other side of almost dying, and all of a sudden, I'd like to say it was from wise choices. It wasn't. It just kind of happened, is that... From that point forward, I have always lived out of my heart and not my head. And my head has served my heart and not the other way around. You know, I think another really important thing that changed for me is I'm, I'm Jewish and I was raised Jewish. And I really feel very deeply that connection. But on the other side of my journey, you know, I was blessed to have people from so many different paths offer their love and support. And to wind up here, kind of spit like Jonah out of the mouth of the whale, I was not and still not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. And I feel like I was challenged to believe in everything. And so ever since then, it's been 28 years, all my work, all my teaching and inquiry and writing, I've been a student of all paths. And I've been committed to trying to reveal and shed light on what I believe is the common center of all paths while really articulating the unique gifts of each and being a survivor, very committed to that next step of, well, what, what does that mean for each of us in our, our daily lives? You know, I believe that things are only abstract because we don't personalize them. Hmm.
1: That's very interesting. So, you know, I, I'm going to ask this question. It's an odd question. But, <laughs> so you had, you were living in your head and you got brain cancer, right? You think there's a connection somewhere as opposed to you, you had a heart attack? I mean, something was telling you enough with the head?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, let me speak to that, and that's not an odd question at all, but let me make a distinction here as we talk about that, because I think you know, while while smoking can give you lung cancer and worry can give you an ulcer, there are certain things where our behaviors affect our bodies, not surprisingly, but I wanna be careful as I talk about this because I don't believe that we create our own cancer. or our own disease and it's important for people who are listening that i don't believe in that at all however i do believe that you know if a bridge has a weak spot where it's been, you know, stress has been on it the most. Then when a storm or a hurricane comes, that's where that bridge is going to crack. So for me, in all these years in retrospect, I was not so much in my head, but I was a young, driven artist. So the right side of my brain, which is where the tumor appeared in the skull bone, okay, that's the creative side. So I think that's the place in my bridge that had stress. So I think that there is a real connection and a really interesting thing that also happened between before and after that journey for me is that on the other side of my cancer, I woke up and I was no longer driven. I lost Mm -hmm. my drive. And this was very disorienting because I thought I lost my creativity. But what I learned, and it took a while, maybe six or eight months to really acclimate to this, is that I was now drawn to things and not driven. And so if you imagine the way a river, that makes a lot of noise as it rushes between its banks. But when it reaches a delta or it reaches the mouth where it joins the sea, the water goes deeper and it makes less noise. And now it joins a larger hole. And that's what happened from going from being driven to being drawn. And I found that my creativity actually increased and was more joyous because... I wasn't pushing myself.
1: You're being drawn.
2: Yes, being drawn, pulled, and then had so much more freedom to just follow the aliveness, which is what I think creativity is all about. Let's just
1: talk about that for a second, that there's more freedom in being drawn than in being driven. So you you might think the opposite, that, oh, I can drive myself wherever I want, but I'm being pulled somewhere. I have to surrender to that, and there is no freedom. But you, you see it the freedom is in surrendering to the,
2: the book. Yes, I do. I do. And, you know, this is one of the hardest things, you know, I, I, when dealing with young writers, really in any art form, but I'll speak to writers because they have had experience with that. You know, one of the thing, and I was like this as a young writer, one of the hardest things to teach is that, you know, we think... And, and in this way, I think that in the West, we we even unconsciously, we want to play God instead of being of God. And, and so we want to think, oh, I'm going to create something out of nothing. And so when someone has a, an idea or a vision or a dream or a project or a book, when that book or project comes alive, it goes where it wants and it welcomes us. And so when it takes off, our plans as we know them, they don't really work. And so one of the hardest things to teach young writers is that you didn't fail because you can't keep, you didn't aim well, quote. Actually, this book is my 16th book. And I have to say, honestly, not one of the books I've written has been the book I started. Mm -hmm. Because when it comes alive, it's like it's like the mystery invites a relationship. And it says, okay, now that I see you're serious and committed, now I'll show you what this is really about. Get ready. That's why I believe now that creativity is really a conversation. It's a relationship with the mystery. And the trail for me is the words or for a painter is the canvas or a musician is the composition.
1: It's a very powerful image. So so you you mentioned that You started to have dream encounters, and you write about this in some of your poetry. You had dream encounters with the 8th century Chinese poet, Dufu.
2: Yes. And he became
1: a guide for you. Do do you have any idea why Dufu? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about who he was and...
2: Yeah, so Du Fu was one of the great Chinese poets from the Tang Dynasty in the 700s, and when I was a young undergrad, and first let me say about guides and things, you know, we could, or someone who hasn't experienced this listening could say, well, you you just made it up, or you were so desperate, you dreamt it, or you conjured it, and you know, none of that really matters, because when we are really, really open to be here, we need resource and help wherever it comes from, and... You know, and that means giving up the illusion that we have complete agency over everything. But anyway, so Dufu, when I was an undergraduate, um, he was one of the first poets I read across the ages that felt so real and authentic that I felt like like I was walking with him. And I actually felt like... Wow. I wish I could, we could have been friends. So, you know, later in life, you know, in my thirties, when I'm encountering this, um, he started to appear in my dreams. And, uh, the first one, which was very powerful because I was in my thirties. I'd, I'd been through a lot emotionally, but I didn't have any experience at being physically disabled or in pain. So I was really afraid. I was afraid of everything. You know, I'm I, everyone I, I met medically. I said, my name is Mark. Put me out. <laughs> you know, and um, and my karma was that they couldn't put me out because nobody knew what was happening and they had to save, quote, the anesthetic in case I had to have immediate surgery. So I had to face many procedures awake and without anesthetic. And I had to deal with my fear. So during my, I was very terrified and, and I had this dream, which is a poem in the book, where I met Tufu Fu uh, on a beach and he was sitting cross-legged in the sand with a branch.
0: Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence. A weekend workshop, May 24th to 26th, at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the
1: The poem is called uh, Du Fu's
2: reappearance. Yes, if I'm right, right. So do you have a copy of it in front of you? I do. Why don't I read it? Okay. Out of the yellow mist he came again, his Asian beard in tow. We were on a healthy shore and he sat cross-legged in the sand, scratching delicately with a branch, his slender head down. I crouched and put it to him, "How do I block the fear?" He kept scratching the sand as if he hadn't heard. I grew angry, "How do I block the fear?" He lifted his head and shrugged, branch waving above him. How does a tree block the wind? With that, he disappeared. And so, you know, I woke, and the, the stark lesson was, a tree, of course, doesn't block the wind, it lets it through. And that you can't conquer or block fear. You can only let it through. You can only right-size it. And when we tense, which is natural, we actually bottle it up and keep it there longer. So this was a profound help to me as I then went back into my terrified, uh, my terrified journey. And I was less terrified. You
1: know, do you think, I mean, the message is, is very clear, very powerful, very helpful. And I want to ask you a little more esoteric thing about this because when I read the poem myself, you write, he kept scratching the sand as if he hadn't heard. And I kept, what came to me was, you know, the vision of Jesus. When he's writing on the dirt, you know, and we don't know what he's writing, and here's Dufu doing the same thing. Do you have any idea? Do you think there's any connection in your mind when you're writing this, when you're experiencing the vision of, of Jesus, um, you know,
2: well, scratching I think,
1: out something on the, on the dirt?
2: I think that, you know, all these, and this is maybe another example of the archetypal figures tracing back to a common nameless, a nameless energy that we in all different directions give form to so that we can, communicate and understand and and you know it's like um, and this isn't my image but uh, 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 Lou Andreas Solomé who was the uh, was the very amazing woman who was uh, a psychoanalyst as well as an artist and was a muse actually to Nietzsche and Rilke and Rodin she had this image of imagine uh, a barn with a a a hole in a board and the light which is formless and goes everywhere but when it comes through it it goes through the shape of the hole in that wood and likewise she said god and light and mystery is just formless but we know it because it comes through the shape the holes in us and that's how we know it. So I think, you know, I knew it as the silhouette. It came through the image of Fu. Someone else could know it as the image of Jesus or Moses or Allah. But that whatever the, the, the holes or the openings that bridge between the formless and the very concrete forms of life, that's how we know the mystery, I think, intimately.
1: Yeah, very, which actually leads into something else that you wrote very beautifully. You said in... Uh... And again, the book is called Inside the Miracle, Enduring, Suffering, Approaching Wholeness. You write, we are each in a lifetime conversation with suffering and care that in time will open us to our strengths and gifts. We are meant, it seems, to come apart and come together so we can discover who we are at the core. So who who do you think we are at the core? Is there a core we all share or does each person have her own core?
2: Well, for me, and again, who knows, right? We're all just comparing notes, but for, for my, yeah, for for me, for my experience and time on earth, I think we do have a common core. I think that, you know, one way to understand spirit for me is the unnameable portion of unity that that we carry and that we each carry and then we personalize it by how we carry it and how it moves from us into the world. But I think that, you know, when I, and this is something I've learned, um, when I can inhabit my feelings and work with what I'm given to the depth of who I am at the very bottom of my personality, I touch into the depth of all personality. Mm. And so when I touch into the depth, and this is why I think things, you know, often people with the Book of Awakening, um, one of my books, you know, people will often kindly say, well, it felt like you were writing to me. And, you know, I'm I'm very touched, but I'm not that smart. And um, <laughs> But what I do think it's an affirmation and a confirmation of is the fact that when I reach deep enough into me, if I do it honestly and wholeheartedly, I find you. And similarly, the same thing that you find me. And that's because at the depth, we really touch into that common center. And there's a wonderful, great metaphor from the uh, Christian uh, desert, mystical desert fathers, that really speaks to this. And it's an image of a wagon wheel. You know, an old, if you think in the Old West, a wagon wheel with spokes and a hub and a rim. And what they offer is that every spoke is a soul, on earth and so as we move out in our becoming as we live in the world no two spokes hold up the same part of the rim which is community but as we go into the heart of who we are all spokes meet in the hub in the middle which is god
1: i mean that that's how i would understand it and and i think that that you know whether you're going there opening up to that reality through suffering or through ecstasy and sometimes those are just flip sides of the same reality you enter the hub and and see see if you, if you agree with this or not but when you enter the hub you lose your sense of mark you lose i lose my sense of rami
0: absolutely
1: that's that's what maybe ramana maharshi means by the i i this singular um eternal subject that cannot be made into an object that is all of us you know the brahman that is each atman that kind of thing
2: well and i love how you share that because i think going back to what you asked earlier about some of the ways i felt changed from my cancer journey i think that's a big one too is that you know at the edge of life between life and death for brief moments. I felt like I fell below my name. I felt like I touched into life without names and therefore coming back that has shaped my work as a poet for my whole life because certainly I answered a mark and that's the me, but that's not who i am so again you have the book so it's on
1: page 112 it's down the bottom it's the end of a poem the poem is called i have not forgotten so just the final verse if you can read that the places we break
2: sure the places we break don't heal as much as we're smooth until what we thought was principle crumbles like a wall
1: places we break don't seem to heal as much as we smooth give us some insight into that in a, in, a, in 20 seconds
2: I feel like the things in nature are eroded. The weather of the universe erodes nature to its inner beauty. And that's what great love and suffering do to us. They wear us down to our inner beauty if we can hold each other up to the wearing away. And I think life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other to ensure the journey of love.
1: And then this last part of it
2: you know we thought was principle crumbles like a wall so you end
1: up with (laughs) i mean what i heard was you end up with nothing to hold on to
2: you end up with nothing to hold on to except everything that has no shape you know i'm reminded of there's a great wonderful haiku uh from japan that goes my barn having burned to the ground i can see the moon more completely right i mean everything
1: that that all the principles that we hold and I'm not saying we should have none, but all of them are blinders. And that when you really have nothing to hold on to, I'm, I'm, this is a question, not just my own philosophy, but when you really have nothing to hold on to, then you see reality as it is. What I forget which Zen master says, uh, seek not after truth, cease only to hold opinion.
2: Oh, that. I, yes. Yes. That's Teng San. Mm. I know that. I love that, too. Yes. Just stop your opinion. Well, and I think that, you know, we have this ability The wonderful gift of the mind is that we can have insights and gather meaning but then as soon as they harden into conclusions and assumptions and principles then they become like cataracts and we're constantly in this journey of gathering insights and then dropping them (laughs) yeah well i'm afraid we're gonna
1: have to drop the conversation because (laughs) we're out of time my guest today was mark nepo his newest book inside the miracle will be published in november and an interview with mark uh, appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about his work at his website, marknepo.com. Mark Nepo, thank you very much for being with us on a sensual conversation.
2: Well, thank you. It's wonderful to have this conversation together.
1: Well, it was it was really delightful talking to you. Support for this show comes from Monroe Products, dedicated to helping people develop their full potential with its extraordinary Hemisync brainwave entrainment technology for balancing and focusing the brain. Learn more at Hemisync.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And subscribe to the iTunes app so you never miss an edition of the show. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston and our program coordinators, Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.